Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Modern Homemakers, and I am Donna Otto. Thank you for joining us today. I want to talk to you about something that's very important and surprising to me. This is like surprising. I think a lot of people would tell me that I'm not surprised easily. But I came to encounter this idea of the heart of God and Someone even said to me, it's rather presumptuous for you to think about the heart of God. And I, I want to jump up and down and say, yes, that is the point. That is so the point. And the Lord tells us in Matthew that we are to love the Lord our God with all our mind, love the Lord our God with all our body, love the Lord our God with all our soul. Now, he doesn't say, love the Lord, your God, with all, and then he lists the three, mind, body, and soul. He says it three times, love the Lord, your God, with all. And I remember reading that, and I, think, I thought to myself, oh, I always thought this was about body, mind, and soul. And it turned out that it's not. It's about loving the Lord, your God, with all. <laughs> well, I want you to know that I love the Lord, my God, with some of my all more than my other all. <laughs> so I guess you might guess which ones I love the Lord, my God, best with. And, and that would be my instincts, my soul, my gut. And, and secondly, with my mind. Um, I read a lot. I read broadly. I love learning and listening to other people's ideas. I love thinking about those ideas and trying to figure out if they're true, if they fit in. Are they modern? Are they old? How will it help me and how will it help others that I'm privileged to help? And then I began to say, now, what do I know about the heart of Jesus? And there, there just wasn't much in the scripture. Now, I know that sounds audacious to say there wasn't much in the scripture, but there wasn't much in the scripture because he doesn't reveal his heart as much or as often. He teaches us. He tells us what we should do. He showed us. This is Jesus's life on earth. We've just celebrated the resurrection three years plus. He lived on earth. He taught. He showed. Very few places in the scripture that he reveals his heart. And the first place that I landed on just made me just weep. And that was the raising of Lazarus, the raising of Lazarus. And there's so much conversation about what was going on and why didn't he show up. And I've said this before, if you're, um, if you're not new to us, you probably remember hearing me say this, but I'm always surprised at the, the pieces of impetuousness of the disciples. They had a better plan. You know, Jesus is on his way to somewhere, and the woman with an issue of blood stops him. And if I, if I were there, I would be probably very much like Peter, and I would be saying, tick, 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 tick. We got to get going, and we can't stop here because if we stop here and take care of her, we might not get there. And Jesus didn't live like that. He lived very much in the present. 
And I suppose I could draw from that that his heart was for the sick, and yet the scripture very t- clearly tells us that he did not want to be known as the man who came to heal. He did heal, but he didn't want to be known for that because his will and the work of God, which is what he came to do. So the Lazarus piece is he's on his way there and he doesn't get there for four days. I don't understand it totally. I do know that both Mary and Martha are honked. They come to him, each of them individually in the passage, and say, Lord, if you had been here. And then there's this small verse, which the children love to memorize. When you're in Sunday school and the teacher says to you, you have to memorize a verse, you come back and say, here's the verse I memorized. Jesus wept. Two words. Okay, some of you are laughing and smiling because you did it or one of your kids did it. But, you know, there's a profoundness in that moment. Like, why would Jesus weep? It's a proud piece of his heart showing because he's God. Does he know he's going to heal him? I don't know. I don't have the mind of God, certainly, but he does heal him. Is he honked at the sisters or is he deeply touched at the sisters who they have been a friendship? We talked about remembering in community. That was a community Those people who traveled with Christ, the disciples and other disciples, included Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He loved them. He had been in their home. He had eaten with them. He loved them all. And now he sees the sisters are broken. Lazarus is dead. He's been dead for four days. His body stinks. And it says Jesus wept. And for me, that was like, because Jesus was human, all things human. And in Hebrews, the chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, I find this amazing understanding. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That is so comforting to me. That is so comforting. We do not have a high priest who doesn't sympathize with our weaknesses. We have a high priest who in every place has been respected and tested and yet without sin. Well, you've heard me say that I have two grandchildren. The first was a boy, Samuel. He's now 16, about to be 17, and a sister who's 14. And many years ago, when Samuel was three, maybe four, we had taken a family vacation to the beach. And I, being the early riser, um, each morning would get up and take the little folding chair right down to the ocean side until my little grandson discovered that Nana was doing that and he wanted to join me. So we would get up and do the same. Each morning we walked down to the ocean. It was early, it was quiet. Everyone else was sleeping in. They loved to sleep in, but not us. Me with my little chair and my book bag and Samuel with his toy bag. And he would dig and talk and I would read and respond. And it was just kind of a sing-song. And one day, a small group of, is my friend Kim, who has children who are getting married and children who are eight. 
calls them the Littles. One day, a group of the Littles showed up, and they set up camp maybe 15 feet away from where I was sitting and Samuel was playing in the dust, the sand. And he looks over at them like he'd like to go over there. And then he looks at me, and then he looks at them, and they look at him. And there's this motion, this magic motion that's going on. And then he looks up at me, and he says these words I've never forgotten because they are so meaningful to me. They express what we all feel. Come, go with me, Nana. Come, go with me. He wants to go and play with those littles, but he doesn't know them, and he is weak. And he is afraid. And I think that's what God is asking us to do. He is asking us to look up at him and say, come, go with me. Come, go with me. Come, go with me. In Matthew, we find these most repeated words. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Come to me. Now, I don't know that I'm going to be buried, and I don't know that I'm going to have a headstone. But if I did, and if I was in charge of it, I would have two words on it. Come, stay. I think, for me, life has been reduced to much those two words. I want to invite God always to come go with me. I want others to invite me to come go with me wherever they're going. I'm not God. I'm old enough to have been through some difficulties and have some understanding and sympathy, not the sympathy of God. And I would desire for people who say, come go with me, to be people who are inviting me to come and stay, stay in their lives and them in my life. Comfort for each other only goes so far. There are just only so many things. I think in marriage, one of the things that's probably... um, I'm going to see, say, separate women, men from women. I'm going to say that women probably look for comfort from their husbands more than men look for comfort from their wives. I think it's a two-way street, believe me. But I think oftentimes we, want, we put our husband in a place of they're in charge of comforting us. And God has very clearly told us that he is the one. His patience never wears out. David has a heart for me. He has a pure heart for me. But God's patience never wears out. So I looked at and thought of some words that I often need to recognize when Christ is inviting me to come go with him. That he is lowly, that he has endless kindness, that he is humble, that he is accessible. He is tender open, accommodating, understanding, and willing to take and carry my burden. This is the Jesus who says, come to me, all you are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I think it is his heart to give to us these gentle needs, the way we need to be comforted. Yes, he uses people to do it, but Jesus has a heart for me. God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, who are a community, they have a heart for me. I am assured that their heart for me is to increase 
my availability to God and increase what I do on his behalf. Jesus, in his ministry, had many habits that show us how we have gentleness and meekness. He prayed often. He went by himself often. He quoted the scripture, which was the Old Testament, but he quoted it. So what is the heart of God? I think the heart of God is a heart that loves us, and he wants to be there to comfort us, that he truly sympathizes with me because he has been through everything and yet without sin. I hope that you will pause somewhere in your quiet reflections and think about ways that you have seen the heart of God evidenced in your life. I'm Donna Otto, and this is Modern Homemakers. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it a very uncommon day of asking Jesus to come go with you.